Stop talking. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. It's crowded. Okay, we're getting close. You know, it's crowded in here right now, and we're, we're getting close. You know what that means. We're getting close to having to have two services. Yeah, I know. <laughs> okay, whatever. It is a pleasure to be together and uh, to enjoy the company of each other and to um, encourage one another. The community of faith together is, is one of the joys, and it, um, it makes a difference when you're going through hard times that you can be in a community of people who are similarly uh, committed to the truth of God. Um, this is so important for our own spiritual life that we have colleagues and friends of faith that help us walk with Jesus. So um, we'll, we'll stay in one service for as long as we can, and uh, then we'll split, and we'll have to make room, because I think there are a lot of other people not here today who, would, who should be here, <laughs> and we need to make room for them. Uh, people need the Lord. People need the things that we enjoy together around understanding the truth of God. I was thinking as we were singing um, that I, I just sense that the, this is a message that the Lord knows we all need. Um, I personally had uh, a spiritual struggle in this week preparing. And my own conclusion is it's because it's really important. So I think what we should do is pray together and um, ask the Lord to help us. We always say what we're about to do right now is open this word, look into it, and pray that God will speak to us. This is the living word of God, active sharper than any two-edged sword, able to get to the very depths of the soul as it's opened up. I believe God wants to do that in our hearts here today. And for some in the room, it could be the difference between heaven and hell. For others, it could be the difference between a life of joy or a life of conflict. There's a lot at stake in whether or not we live under the authority of the Bible, his truth. Part of our being able to live under its authority is saying to God, I want to hear your voice through your word. And what blocks our ability to hear God's word is sin and pride. And so... Let's take a minute together. I'm going to do it in my own heart. I'm going to ask God's forgiveness. I'm going to pray to be humble before him. You do that too. And what if the Holy Spirit showed up and changed our thinking? 
Let's, let's pray together. You prepare your heart to hear from God. Anything to turn away from? Search our hearts, O oh God. Look into us if there's anything in us that is contrary to your will and your character, your purpose, and your love. I pray that you will cleanse us. We confess our sins to you and are so grateful that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then to give to us an anointing from the Holy Spirit that we may know the truth of God. We are all in a battle to follow you. And we pray that today your Holy Spirit will come and, and guide us, liberate the one who is stuck. God will penetrate every part of our soul and mind and life until we just say, Lord, we follow you. I'll follow you anywhere. And I'll follow you through trouble if you lead me in that way, through trials and persecution. We would follow you there because you will never leave us or forsake us. So God, in the way that you can, I pray that you will speak more than anything I could ever say, please speak to us by your power. In Jesus' name we all pray, amen. Okay, James chapter 1. You have a journal? Okay, so you have your journal, and you can start taking notes in there if you want to, um, or in your big Bible, you can use that. Last week we opened up the series, and it was noteworthy that James began with life being hard, that there are trials in life. And whenever we are in a trial, the trial always reveals something that you lack. If you have a health crisis, you lack medicine. You lack good health. If you have a financial, you lack resources. If you have a job problem, you know, maybe it's relational skills or some other skills. A trial always reveals what is missing. But of all the things that you may lack during a trial, it's the wisdom of God that we need most on how to endure the trial and receive out of the trial what God wants us to get out of it. You'll remember that last week it started with count it all joy when you encounter trials, knowing that trials are going to test your faith, and then faith when you're tested becomes stronger and there's endurance, and then endurance has a perfect work that we become complete, mature, we become fully developed. There are a lot of baby Christians who at this point in their life should not be baby Christians. And it's part, part of the reason is because you go through hard times and you, you don't let God be at work in the hard time 
developing what he wants to develop, the reflex muscle of faith to say, I'm going to trust you even though this is hard. And it's sort of like a cycle. You have joy, and then you have trials. <gasps> what are you going to do when you have trials? Well, you're going to let your faith be tested so that you have endurance. And then endurance has its perfect work so that you become more mature, and in your maturity, you have joy. Repeat. You have joy, and then you have trials, and it's a testing of your faith, and you have to endure through that, and you endure through that, and you get stronger and more perfect and complete and grown up, and then you have joy. And then everybody, repeat. And, and that is the way life goes, but hopefully every cycle brings out a greater sense of maturity and certainty and the things that I was worried about when I was 20, I'm not worried about now when I'm 60, because I've grown a little bit. That's what we want. That's what God's after. And when you're in that trial, um, what you need most is wisdom. And this next section is about wisdom. So let's define it. What is wisdom? Well, let's read the text. I'm going to read it out loud. Verse 5 through 8. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." It's clear that what James thinks his readers need, and I'm, I'm with him, what we need today is the wisdom of God. Wisdom is differentiated from knowledge. In fact, one simple definition of wisdom is applied knowledge. It's not enough to know facts about God or even facts about the essentials of life Wisdom is the ability to discern what is right and the capacity to understand it and function according to it. It's knowing the right thing and doing it. Here's a couple definitions that some of the writers I read this week said. Biblical wisdom is understanding for living. It is the practical use of knowledge. Wisdom is that endowment of the heart and the mind which is needed for right conduct in life. So we've said this many times, but Boulder, Colorado, and the surrounding area has one of the highest rates of graduate degrees. So there are a lot of educated people in this room. But being educated isn't necessarily equivalent to being wise. Does everybody know the difference? It is like you have to be able to take the knowledge of reality and apply it to life as God guides in a life of wisdom. Wisdom not only lets us see, in this case, how to navigate trials, but what to learn as a result of it. So what God's really after through trials is a spiritual formation so we become wise people. Now, there's four things I want you to see in this text. First is um, the means of wisdom. 
and the source of wisdom and the condition for asking for wisdom and then the result of wisdom. So first, the means of wisdom. If anyone, verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, next phrase, what is that? When you ask God, what are you doing? Okay, the means of getting wisdom in one sense here is praying. Praying. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Oh, have you ever been in trouble in trials in your life and you said, oh, I don't know what to do. I guess I should pray. And prayer becomes the last resort. And it should be our first response. And you might write that down. Prayer is not the last resort. It's the first response. And if we were people of prayer, then really what James says, if you want wisdom, the means to getting it is praying. Praying. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And again in John, he said, whatever you ask in my name, this I'll do, that the Father will be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And I know you're saying, well, I've asked for things. And God works mysteriously in prayer. But I hope one of the things that you'll take away is that what the Bible instructs us to do when we're in trouble is to pray. And to particularly pray for wisdom. Now, God wants to give wisdom as an answer. He wants that. And prayer is one of the means that we grow in our knowledge of what to do. There are other ways that God gives wisdom. It's not just through prayer. And in fact, prayer is the means by which God gives wisdom, but it's not normally in the way that we want it because we want to pray and say, God, I need to make this decision. So help me know. And we think that something special is going to come from heaven and go, and we're going to say, okay, that's it. But it doesn't happen that way most of the time. Most of the time it comes through, number one, the truth of the Word of God that's guiding us. And we've said, if you're not sure what decision to make, be sure that you're being obedient to all the things that God has spoken about. Because God doesn't say anything here about what job you should take, what college you should go to, or even who you should marry. And those are big decisions. So how do you make those decisions? Well, one of the best things you can do is be in position to make the decision that God doesn't say anything about by being obedient to everything God does say something about. Everybody with me? So... When you say, I want God to lead me, he will lead you as you're walking in his will and being obedient to things that he has clearly said. This is my will for you. This is the will of God for you. Let's take one. Your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That's his will. So if I want the will of God in an area that he doesn't speak about, I should align my life with what he has speaking, spoken about. This is the will of God. In everything, you give thanks. Be grateful. Step in, in that. You know what I mean? So know the will of God and then follow that because he'll guide you in his word. 
Second, he'll guide you with other people in your life. He gives wise counsel to us, and one of the ways God answers prayer is to suddenly intersect your life with somebody that you never expected to meet. Isn't that awesome when that happens? And suddenly they help you, and they say something, and you say, ah, I was just praying about that. And God will intersect us with someone who might guide our steps because God uses older people to help the lives of younger people. I want to make a point to older and younger people in the church. You know who you are. We have to intersect. Say, anyone lack wisdom? Pray. Ask God. One of the things he may do is bring someone into your life that will help guide you. Be watching. And the other thing that God does in helping us learn wisdom as we pray is going through experiences. And Ed... um, assessed and evaluated experiences of life help teach us things. Want me to illustrate it? As a young boy, we played with firecrackers. They weren't illegal back then. And one time, I lit a firecracker and threw it, and it didn't explode. Well, you can't waste a firecracker. (laughs) So I went and I picked it up ever so gently. And I looked and there was a little glow (laughs) in there. And I thought, okay, I'm guessing I'm nine, okay? (laughs) How do you get that flame into the chamber? I only did that once, (laughs) but that is a true story. My fingers were swollen, my lips were swollen, okay? (laughs) The Proverbs talk about the fool, (laughs) and when you're young, you do foolish things, okay? You, you won't forget that. That's the only thing you remember, probably, of today's message. But um, I'm not sure where I was going with that. Oh, yeah. No, it, it's uh, you learn from experience, okay? So many of us have learned from experience in relationships. Many of us have learned from experience with work. Many of us learned by experiences that we really blew it somewhere and we failed, And those failures are actually one of the things that shape our life and give us wisdom not to do that stupid thing again. That's the way God answers. He he teaches us. But the means is prayer. So how's your prayer life? I mean, what what James is saying, do any of you lack wisdom? Pray this prayer. Lord, help me. Lord Jesus, my Savior, have mercy on me. I had a friend who used to say that. He used to try to say it 25 times a day. Lord Jesus, my Savior, have mercy on me. And all it did was sort of align his heart that Jesus is there to answer. The means of becoming a wise person is asking, and secondly, asking the right source. The source of wisdom is God. That's number two. The source of wisdom is God. Let him ask of God. 
Wisdom is a divine gift. Let me read a couple of the Proverbs. You can write them down. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Proverbs 2.6 says, for the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come understanding and knowledge. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Who's the source of wisdom? It's God. And fearing God and keeping room in your life that God is who he is, is is coming to the right source for wisdom. The character of God in verse 5 is clear too. This character of God is what we should have in our mind when we come to him and ask him about the troubles that we're in. We sometimes think that we shouldn't ask God. You know, we don't want to trouble God with our problems. Why should we bother him? Asking just conveys how needy we really are. And I know, I'm sure God wants me to get my act together before I come to him. And so that I'm, he's proud of me. And then he might answer me. How many, everybody ever think that? Okay, don't. That's not it. It's like, no. Um, ask of God who gives in these two ways. When you think about God, how would you define him first? Here's how James defines him. He gives wisdom generously and without reproach or without reprimand. He, he would never say, you again? What did you do with what I gave you last time? Why... No, it's without, without reproach. The character of God in your mind when you're asking is, he is the ultimate source of all wisdom for everything I'm going through. He gives it generously. That word generously is actually the word single-minded. He gives single-mindedly. In other words, not conditionally, not bargaining, He wants to give wisdom. Turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 7 for a minute. Go left. Let's look at Matthew because we've made the point, or we haven't, but we will make the point that James, I think, relies on a lot of what Jesus said, particularly in the Sermon on the Mount. You can hear the Sermon on the Mount coming through James' words. And in Matthew chapter 7, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you, verse 7. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you, for everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be open to the one who knocks. Or to which one of you, if a son asks him for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? That's Jesus saying, you have a Father in heaven who delights to give good, and James is saying he is generous, and he never gives with reproach. He understands our weaknesses. He's not going to reprimand us or ridicule us. So we ask from the source, and the source is God, and God is gracious. 
Now we're going to ask in faith, and one of the things about faith here is that you believe God is this and that he won't do that. He's not going to ridicule you because that's who he is. Okay, let's go on. That's, that's the means of wisdom is prayer. The source is God who gives generously. And then the condition that James refers to in order to ask, and that's verse 6. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. The condition is, I circled, ask in faith. Ask believing. And in particular, with no doubting. Remember our series, Beyond Blue, and the message we had on doubting, and that God can handle our doubts? That's a good message. Zach gave that. We all talked about it, and we said, you can bring your doubts to God. And James says, ask in faith and don't doubt. And the way I hold that together is this. Um, Remember that cycle? So I don't doubt God the way I did when I was 20. And I went through a challenging experience in my life. I've told you about it, but I almost walked away from the Lord. I, I remember being in a car that broke down in the middle of Michigan in the middle of the night, and it was the culmination of a month long period of uh, disappointment after disappointment, including uh, many things that uh, I don't need to tell you about. But it was the culmination. And I remember hitting my hand on the steering wheel and saying to God, I. I will not trust you. He didn't didn't slay me. It's like he was gracious. And he worked. And he brought someone into my life. And he he carried me through. And um, I, I doubted him. I doubted his goodness in that moment. I think that's what James is saying. Don't doubt God's goodness. He's gracious. And you're in this suffering, but ask in faith. Ask in faith. Um, Doubt in the character of God is dangerous. He was merciful to me. I think that's what I mean when we went through the Beyond Blue series and doubt is normal at times. But when you're trusting in God for something that you really long for, it's like, I know God, you know best about this, and you will do what? Anything else? I really believe this is real. I really want it, but not my will, but yours. And if you don't give it to me, I will live with that because I know who you are. I don't doubt who you are. So I'm saying to you, when I was 20, I doubted who God was. Today, I have very few doubts about who God is. And I hope when I'm 75, I'll have even fewer. I can't think of any right now that I have. 
You know what I mean? So that's the cycle of growth that you may be complete and whole and lacking nothing. That's where we're heading. Now, uh, he, he says that, verse 7, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. He's a double-minded person who asks, not really believing that God will do this. Here is a wavering, a lack of faith, especially in time of trouble. And so therefore what happens is it's carried about by every wind because I'm not really anchored in believing who God is and that he can answer me whatever way he wants to but not the way I dictate to him. Then I trust in him for that and I'm secure in that even though my world feels like it's falling apart but I'm rock solid that he's who he is in this unsteady time. The opposite is I have two minds. I trust God on Sundays when Tom's preaching, and then Monday through Friday I'm worried like crazy about what's going to happen in my life. And I have these two minds going back and forth. We used to say I'm on the fence. I can't decide whether I'm going to trust God or do it my own way. No. It's like the call is I I need to be a single-minded man. In that, in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21, Elijah called the people of Israel together and he said to them, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If God is God, follow him. But if Baal's God, follow him. Okay, so we could put it in 2022 context, in Boulder. I'm saying to you, If God is God, believe him. But if materialism, if new age, if you are God, follow you. Good luck. There's a a question that had an answer, only one answer. God is God. So follow him. And don't be double-minded. Um, John Bunyan wrote the allegory Pilgrim's Progress, and he had a man in the story, a character, by the name of Mr. Facing Both Ways. It's a good name. It's really hard to walk a straight line when you are w- w- facing both ways. It was his allegory of someone who doesn't have a committed heart, who doesn't, has, has two minds. And we, we all are that way sometimes, but it leads to a very unstable life. Being convinced of the true source of wisdom being God and not looking elsewhere for it. I mentioned last week that there are so many bad ideas that particularly I'm passionate for for young people who are being bombarded by ideas that do not emerge out of the truth of God and those ideas are pulling you one way and you come to church and God's pulling you another way and it's like, which, who am I going to follow? Well, you cannot be Mrs. Facing Both Ways. You've got to choose who is the one I'm going to trust. And I know I'm, I'm looking at people who love God but sometimes get sideways on what's shaping and guiding my life. And there's only one way to overcome double-mindedness. It's to cultivate 
the mind that you want to follow. Cultivate it. So let me see if I can help you do that. If following the mind of God will help you get His wisdom for the trouble that you're in, this is how you could do it. You write this down in your journal. It's priceless. Number one, God loves me. You believe that? Okay, do you always think that when you're in trouble? Or do you sometimes say, God, where are you? No, God loves you. More than you love anything, God loves you. Two, God made you in his image. You study Psalm 139. He created you in his image. He wove you together. He knows you. He created you. He created you. You are not an accident. You did not emerge out of primordial goop. You are a design of the creator in his image. You say that to yourself. I'm yours, loved by you, created in your image. You saved me, three, through Jesus. You paid it all. You forgave my sins. You took my place. You bore my burden. You carried my sins far away. You made me a child of God. You saved me, Jesus, and I believe that. Four, I know you're working even if I can't see that you're working. I could sing that for you if you want. But God is working. God's working in my life. I know he's working in my life even if I can't see exactly what his design is right now. I know he's working. Five, I know you will never leave me or forsake me. You've promised that if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. You will never leave me or forsake me. Six, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's where I'm heading. Listen, if you have problems with sometimes trusting God, not trusting God, the answer is cultivating the mind that you want to follow. And it may just begin by saying, God, my troubles are making me tempted to question you, but I just want to put a stake in the ground to remind my own heart, you love me, you made me in your image, you saved me through Jesus, you will never leave or forsake me, you're working now, and I'm going to heaven when I'm done here, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, that's my life. Not the Super Bowl, but a golf clap, I'll take it. Thank you. (laughs) That's the truth, though, right? That really is the answer. And the opposite is, sometimes I trust God, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I know he's working, sometimes I guess he's not. I guess he forgot me. And what ends up happening is you live a very unstable life tossed to and fro, and very susceptible to being deceived by every trickery and deceitful scheming of man, which is all around. Okay, fourth, this is the last point. Um, we, We saw the means of wisdom is prayer. The source is God. The condition for getting it is really saying, Lord, I, I believe, I believe in you. Now, um, I have to stop there. And then four, what's the result? 
What's the outcome? The outcome, we're going to look at chapter 3. So flip over in your journal to chapter 3, and just here's another place that wisdom is shown. And verse 13 of chapter 3 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show. Let him show. Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Who's wise? You'll be able to tell. You'll be able to see. And then the next two sections show, here's what wisdom of a worldly wisdom looks like, and here's what divine wisdom looks like. So verse uh, 14, here's worldly wisdom. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Little parenthesis here, you see that? Demonic. We don't have time. But students of the Word of God look at that and say, what is James saying? There are spiritual forces of wickedness who are trying to help you live your life outside of the wisdom of God. Young people, all the voices that you hear in your life, you need to weigh. Is this from God or is this from some other source? And it's not enough to just say, oh, it's a cute other source. What James says is if there is not God in the equation of the way you're trying to think about your family, finances, health, work, whatever, then there's high probability that that perspective is coming from none other than demons. In fact, um, Timothy actually said that the Spirit expressly says in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there'll be disorder and every evil practice, every worldly practice, every sensual, selfish, ordinary, uh, contrary, disorderly, everything evil is there. So where are you getting your wisdom from? Make sure it's coming from God. Ask of God. Let him, let him give it to you. And then what does what the wisdom of God look like? What happens when you get wisdom? You're not living according to the wisdom of God. You're, you're doing something foolish. It's first of all pure. And then it's peaceable. You living in conflict right now? Are you in conflict with everyone? That's not the wisdom of God. It's gentle. The opposite of gentle is someone just a bully, open to reason, teachable, full of mercy, good fruits. Again, a life under the wisdom of God, you can see it. And it's impartial and sincere. doesn't treat people with partiality. It's not racial. doesn't prefer the rich to the poor. It's impartial. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I, I just think this is sort of an, a, a little bit of, it's hard to translate this, but I think what it, is, what it basically says is this, that there is an indisputable correlation, a causal correlation between being a wise person and living a righteous life. You, you sow a harvest of righteousness when you, I'm sorry, you, you reap that when you sow 
the peace of the wisdom of God. Okay, are there any questions? This is the way we'll close. Some of you memorize this as children. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. The next two verses are the reward. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil, and it will be healing for your flesh and refreshment for your bones. It's the good life. It's the good life to live in the wisdom of God. If you lack wisdom for the trouble you're in, ask of God. He's generous. He won't reprimand you. And he will give. And we say with the father uh, who said to Jesus, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I want to believe you. Let's pray together. God, I pray today for anyone and all of us who have troubles. In our life, there are many difficulties and trials. And for some of them, we don't know what to do. We don't know how to fix them or solve them or help them go away. And maybe the reality we've learned over the last two weeks is you don't want them to go away. You, you want us to be in those difficulties so that you can do your work of helping us to become mature, fully developed in our faith. So I just pray that you'll help our, our moments of unbelief and help us just to re-anchor our soul in the truths that we've said about you, that you really do love us through Jesus. And you did create us in your image, and you have saved us through Christ, and you are working around us whether we can see it or not, and you're with us no matter what happens. So, Lord, I pray you just help all of us to be anchored in these truths. Let's be wise in the way we live, and may the way we live show that we're anchored in the wisdom of God. That's what we pray for, for your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together.